And Joseph went up from Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of Bethlehem, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, she being great with child. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was none to give room to them in the inns. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. But the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. touch the hearts of so many on that uh, Christmas day so long ago. Just a few announcements here this morning before we begin. There is no offertory as part of the service this morning, but afterwards the deacons will have a tray out in the foyer uh, to receive your offering if you'd like to share. And then I'm going to read here in a moment a a call to worship and some opening scriptures. And then the choir is going to be bringing the, uh, the opening hymn. But we will join them. So stay seated until you get the, uh, get the, the, the nod. And then we'll stand and we'll join them in singing the third stanza of Silent Night, which is number 147. That's printed in your bulletin, so just wait until you're, uh, you're directed to do so, to stand and to join 
as a congregation with the choir as they sing. I'd like to read to you a few scriptures out of the book of Isaiah. And if you are familiar with Handel's Messiah, many of the scriptures that he put to song are contained in that book of Isaiah. I'm going to read a few of these uh, to you. The first is out of the ninth chapter of Isaiah, uh, beginning at verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there is no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The Lord sent his word unto Jacob and it hath lighted upon Israel. And from the uh, 40th chapter of the book of Isaiah, a few selected verses. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs within his arms and carry them to his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Thank you. 
We gather here this morning in joy in our hearts to sing praises unto our God. And already we have felt that spirit which is present. And Father, we pray that uh, you would minister unto all who are here as we feel that joy and sing of that glorious Lord that has been a gift unto all who are willing to accept that gift, that even born as a child in a manger. And what a humble blessing and way in which the Lord works. And so, Father, we pray for our choir as they sing and those who participate in the ministry of music this morning, that you would bless each and every one. Father, for we have felt that blessing already. And we ask that thine angels might be with them as they sing that it might be felt among us and it might be known. And so, Lord, we're uh, thankful and reminded of this beautiful, of our Lord and Jesus, our Savior, this Christmas season. And we pray that your spirit will be with us throughout the rest of this uh, hour. And, that, and uh, Lord, we ask and recognize thy great majesty. And so, Father, we ask these things. And we pray these blessings upon us this hour. And we invite thy spirit to continue to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. had the uh, <clears throat> privilege to preside over this Christmas service a number of times, and oftentimes it's uh, challenging to find new stories and Christmas testimonies to share with you. So you'll find a few that are my favorites that perhaps you'll hear again today that we've shared over the years past. One of my most uh, favorite Christmas hymns is I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And that was uh, written, actually, by a well-known poet, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And I didn't know until just recently the story behind that beloved Christmas time hymn. And I want to share that uh, with you this morning, and, and then we get to sing that particular hymn. In March of the year 1863, 18-year-old Charles Appleton Longfellow left his family's house on Brattle Street in Cambridge, Massachusetts, a colonial mansion that had served as General Washington's headquarters from 1775 to 1776. Unbeknownst to his family, he boarded a train bound for Washington, D.C., and traveled over 400 miles down the eastern seaboard in order to join President Lincoln's Union Army to fight in the Civil War. Charles was the oldest of six children born to Fanny Elizabeth Appleton and Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and he was the celebrated literary critic and poet. And Charles had five younger siblings, a brother aged 17 and four sisters, 13, 10, and 8, and one who had died as an infant. Less than two years earlier, Charles' mother, Fanny, had tragically died after her dress had caught fire. Her husband, Henry, awakened from a nap and tried to extinguish the flames as best he could, first with a rug and then with his own body. 
but she had already suffered severe burns, and she died the next morning. This was in July of 1861. And Henry Longfellow's own burns were severe enough that he was unable to attend his own wife's funeral, and he stopped shaving on account of the burns, growing a beard that would become associated with his image. At times that he would, he feared that he uh, would be sent to an asylum on account of his grief. When Charlie, as he was called, arrived in Washington, D.C., he sought to enlist as a private in the 1st Massachusetts Artillery. Captain McCarthy, commander of Battalion A, wrote to Henry Wadsworth Longfellow for permission for Charlie to become a soldier. And HWL, as his son referred to him, granted that permission. Longfellow later wrote to his friend Charles Sumner, a senator from Massachusetts, and John Andrew, the governor of Massachusetts, and Edward Dalton, the medical inspector of the Six Army Corps, to lobby for his son to become an officer. But Charlie had already impressed his fellow soldiers and superiors with his skills, and on March 27th of 1863, he was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the 1st Massachusetts Cavalry, assigned to Company G. At the Battle of Chancellorsville in Virginia, he saw no combat, but spent his time guarding wagons. And Charlie fell ill with what they called camp fever, which was probably typhoid or some type of typhoid malarial fever. And he was sent home for several months with his family to recover and missed the Battle of Gettysburg. But he rejoined his unit in August of 1863. And on the first day of that December, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was dining alone in his home when a telegram arrived, the news that his son had been severely wounded, inaccurately stating that he had been shot in the face four days earlier. Then in November, while involved in a skirmish during the Battle of Mine Run, Charlie had been shot through the left shoulder with the bullet exiting under his right shoulder blade, traveling across his back, and it nicked his spine. And Charlie avoided being paralyzed by less than an inch. He was carried to New Hope Church in Orange County, Virginia, and then transported to the Rapidian River, and Charlie's father and younger brother, Ernest, immediately set out for Washington. Charlie arrived by train on December 5th, and Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was alarmed when informed by the Army surgeon that his son's wounds was very serious and paralysis might ensue. And three surgeons gave a more favorable favorable report that evening, suggesting that the recovery would require him to be long in healing, at least six months. On Friday, December the 25th of 1863, Longfellow, as a 57-year-old widowed father of six children, the oldest of which had been spared near paralysis, fighting for a war against itself, wrote a poem to capture the dynamic and dissonance in his own heart and the world he observed around him on that Christmas day. He heard the bells ringing in Cambridge and the singing of peace on earth, but he observed the world of injustice and violence that seemed to mock the truthfulness of this optimistic outlook. The theme of listening recurs throughout the poem eventually leading to the settledness of a confident hope even in the midst of bleak despair as he recounts to himself that God is alive and righteousness shall prevail. Within a decade, the poem was put to music by the English organist John Baptiste Calkin. Saints, shall we sing together 
I heard the bells on Christmas Day, hymn number 162. We'll remain seated. I share this testimony from our sister Thelma Kester. I had the privilege of sitting with her in this room and many prayer services and priesthood visits at her home and uh, counted a privilege that I get to uh, share with you this morning this testimony of her experience of Christmas many years ago. From her words and her writing, it was Christmas time. The year was 1930. And the Depression was holding our nation in its grip. Many people would have no Christmas at all that year. The following is a true story I wrote that happened to our family then. Silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright, sing the children of our junior department, Walnut Park Church, round yon virgin, mother and child. How lovely they are singing this afternoon, whispered Mama to me. The children were rehearsing for their Christmas program, and everything was going well. Already most of them knew the speaking parts perfectly, and Christmas was still three weeks away. That's enough for today, she told them as they finished their song. You are all done so well So well, the service will be especially good. I believe Jesus is pleased with your singing today. You're going to do very well for him on the program. That's all for today. Mama turned to me at the piano. Thelma, she said happily, we have never had the children doing so well as this year. I feel so good about this program. It should be very inspirational for all the church. Yes, Mama, I responded. Maybe it's because there's no, there's no, uh, there's, sorry, maybe it's because there's so little else for them to look forward to this year. A cloud crossed my mother's face. I know, she sighed. This depression is a horrible thing. I wonder if it will ever end. Many of our little ones here today will not get a gift at all except the bag of candy 
and the orange we will give them at the close of the program. We put our shabby but warm coats on, turned out the church lights and stepped outside. We really didn't mind too much being shabby. Everyone else was the same way, and we were warm. There wouldn't be much in our home either, but we were all we were all older now. All of us were either in high school or junior high. Besides, Mama was very clever in making nice things out of almost nothing. And we had managed to have something for each of us, too. However, in many of the homes of our congregations, there would be no Christmas at all. I was thinking about that as we walked up the street together in the cold, crisp autumn air. Miss Moran, oh, Miss Moran, a voice behind us called. We stopped and turned around to see old brother Criley limping his way down the sidewalk. Wait, he called cheerily. I have something for you. Catching up to us, he thrust his, his uh, heavy jar, quart jar into Mama's hands. He looked about stealthily. He wanted, a, wanted to be sure no one else saw him. It's for the children, he said. I've been saving my pennies for a year for the children. You know just which ones have the greatest need, Sister Moran. I want you to take all these pennies and buy toys and gifts for as many as you can. But don't tell anybody where they came from. This is our secret. He looked at me. Young woman, you see that you see that don't tell anyone either, he demanded. Brother Criley, I laughed. You know I won't tell, tell and thinking it's a wonderful idea. I added, as I bent down to give Brother Criley a big hug and then planted a kiss on his cold cheek. Harf snorted Brother Criley, but, this, but his eyes were twinkling. I've got to get... On back to the house now, he mumbled. I am getting the cold, and I and I turned and he turned and limped back down the street about a half a block away to his home. Oh, Mama, won't it be fun buying all those things for the children? I exclaimed. Mama's eyes were already glowing with excitement. She was planning planning just what to buy. Christmas Eve came and cold that year of a great depression. Snow began falling early in the afternoon, and by the time we had come from school, it was piling up outside. A perfect Christmas, I thought, if only everyone could be warm and safe indoors. Soon Daddy came in, and we sat down at our evening meal of homemade bread and beans. How secure we felt, surrounded by the warmth and love of each other, and the good nourishing food before us at the table. In the living room stood the tree Daddy had cut from the nearby woods. It was decorated with ornaments carefully packed away during better times, and the garland was white, puffy popcorn from our summer garden. All about the trees were many packages in large boxes waiting to be delivered that evening. It's time to be going, announced Daddy. Come on, girls, get your wraps on. We've got work to do tonight. In a few minutes, we were all ready, and gathering up those boxes, we marched out to the old Ford standing beside it, the door, and we piled in. Daddy started that engine with a loud roar, and that faithful little Ford rolled down the driveway on the street. We were on our way. After going quite a few blocks, we stopped. We'll leave the car here, said Daddy. Then folks won't know who it is. We all got out and, and taking boxes, some boxes full of packages, we all walked quietly down the street in our shabby little, to a shabby little house. Daddy, with his box under each arm, crept up onto the porch and placed the boxes where it could be surely to be seen. Mama, Mama and us girls concealed ourselves in the shadow off, off a ways. 
And with a loud voice, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, we all shouted at the tops of our voices, and Daddy slipped quickly into the shadow to rest with us. Safe in the darkness, we watched. Soon the door opened, and a little boy looked out. Then he spied the boxes and shouted with excitement, Someone's been here, someone's been here. Then he and other children rushed out, followed by their mother. She stood there a moment, gazing down at the presents, then looking off into the darkness and cried, Thank you, whoever you are, oh, thank you, and picked up the boxes. She went back into the house with her children jumping about her and squealing for joy. The door closed and we went quietly on our way. On we went from one place to another, taking our precious gifts of love brought by Brother Criley's pennies. At last, the boxes were all delivered, and we walked quietly back to the old Ford parked a few blocks away. Helen began to sing Silent Night, Holy Night. The snow was falling gently all about us, and it crunched underneath our feet as we walked along, singing that beautiful carol, All is Calm. All is bright. I'm sure the people in their homes for that Christmas Eve heard our song as we passed, and perhaps they too joined in the, as we sang. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. I never forgot that Christmas Eve and the warm, happy feeling that filled me as we delivered those wonderful gifts of love And these people never knew who brought the toys and simple clothes, stockings, gloves, caps, scarves, nor the kind old man who had saved his pennies all the year and shared them. It was his secret and ours. And in case you were wondering how much Mama could buy with a quart of pennies, stockings cost 10 cents a pair, and other items accordingly.
I'm going to share with you a testimony of Patriarch Albert A. Smith. It says, one morning, one Sunday morning, I sat in the church at Enoch Hill in Independence. Just before I was to preach on the subject, the word became flesh. I sat with open Bible held in my palm and my left hand. The saints sang, Silent Night, Holy Night. The musical tone seemed to strike the open book in my hand like a sounding board and set up a vibration through it that I could distinctly feel. It was though the word was alive. It was stirring in my hand. When the babe of Bethlehem stirred in his mother's arms, a thrill went through the ages. The word was coming alive. It had come to dwell among us, full of grace and truth. All that is written into the law in cold, hard letters of any alphabet, Christ put into his life in flesh and blood. He made the law alive in such a way that is a warming our hearts. The disciples on the road to Emmaus said, did, not, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures, and in such a way that it is enlightening to our minds. That was the great work of our master, to interpret the word, the gospel in flesh and blood, so that it would appeal to the heart and be understood by the mind of men. I have pictured myself, Jesus, in meditation. I have imagined him following that occasion when in the councils of heaven he volunteered to come to the earth and undertake the salvation of men. And I have fancied him thinking to himself, quote, Now I have undertaken this mission. How shall I go about the task of reaching men? Shall I call, the angel, shall I call angels and send them forth with trumpets to sound the message through the heavens so that every living creature shall hear the law of life and salvation? If I do that, some men will look up and say, Your law is all right for the angels, but I am no angel. I am dragged in the mire. I may be part angel, but I am part beast, and cannot even attempt to live by your law. Shall I summon ten legions of angels and send them forth to write billions of tracts and scatter them broadcast over the land like snowflakes in January? If I do, some men may, may look up and say, What is the painted page to me when God remains in heaven and I am chained to the earth? Shall I summon the archangels and gather together the lightnings of heaven and blaze the gospel upon the sky in letters of fire so that all men may see? Men are children, and if I do that, they will be afraid. I do not want their fear. I want their love. Then I imagine that the corrugated brow is smoothing and Jesus says, quote, Father, I know how to reach men I will go to them myself, and I will live the law of life and salvation. So it came about that the word became flesh and dwelt among men. That was the only way to reach men. That is the secret of the success of some of the men who have represented this church in the past, who have not been men exceedingly brilliant, but they have gone out among the people and have shared with them their privations. You would be surprised sometimes to follow the trail of some men who in independence is not considered so very forceful, but go out in their rural districts where he is ministered to the needs of the people, and you will find that they consider him a wonderful man. And the secret is that in that field, in the person of that minister, the word was made flesh and dwelt among men.
from third book of Nephi, chapter 1, starting in verse 10. And now it came to pass that when Nephi, the son of Nephi, saw this wickedness of his people, his heart was exceeding sorrowful. And it came to pass that he went out and bowed himself down upon the earth and cried mightily to his God in behalf of his people. Yea, those who were about to be destroyed because of their faith in the tradition of their fathers. And it came to pass that he cried mightily unto the Lord all the day. And behold, the voice of the Lord came upon him, saying, Lift up your head and be of good cheer, for behold, the time is at hand, and on this night shall the sign be given. And on the morrow come I into the world to show unto the world that I will fulfill all that which I have caused to be spoken by the mouth of my holy prophets. Behold, I come unto my own to fulfill all things which I have made known unto the children of men from the foundation of the world, and to do the will both of the Father and of the Son of of the Father because of me and of the Son because of my flesh. And behold, the time is at hand, and this night shall the sign be given. And it came to pass that the words which which came unto Nephi were fulfilled according as they had been spoken. For behold, at the going down of the sun there was no darkness, and the people began to be astonished because there was no darkness when the night came. And there were many who had not believed on the words of the prophets, fell to the earth, and became as if they were dead. For they knew that the great plan of destruction they had laid for those who believed in the words of the prophets had been frustrated. For the sign which had been given was already at hand, and they began to know that the Son of God must shortly appear. Yea, in fine, all the people upon the face of the whole earth, from the west to the east, both in the land north and to the land south, were so exceedingly astonished that they fell to the earth. For they knew that the prophets had testified of these things for they for many years, and that the sign which had been given was already at hand, and they began to fear because of the iniquity and their unbelief. And it came to pass that there was no darkness in all the night, but it was as light as though it was midday. And it came to pass that the sun did rise in the morning again, according to its proper order, and they knew that it was the day that the Lord should be born because of sign which had been given.
This is a testimony of the Apostle Arthur Oakman. And he says, At Christmas time, it's difficult for me to sing carols. In the imagination of my mind, I go to Bethlehem and try to envisage the baby Jesus and wonder what glory would shine through the flesh or if it would be some completely or would it be so completely veiled that I would pass without noticing God became man in Jesus Christ in order that men might become the sons of God people who say that it doesn't matter whether Christ was born of a virgin by the Holy Ghost, just don't know how much it does matter. It is Christian doctrine to say that he was born of the Holy Ghost and the Virgin Mary, and this is why. Sin has so far corrupted the physical stock that the sentence of death is written into our nerve cells and into the germ plasms of our physical organism. It is impossible for anyone to produce a sinless person or a person that is not subject to death. If death is to be defeated, someone who has immortality and eternal life dwelling in him has to take upon him our sinful, selfish humanity. Thus, he would bestow upon it from beyond the gulf that separates creature from creator, the gift of immortality and eternal life. I believe in God the Father, the Almighty, maker of, of heaven and earth. I believe that he made the universe to tell of himself. He made matter to tell of his intricacies. He made space to tell of his greatness. Even the intense fertility of the insects somehow tell of his creative power. But he made man in his own image and sacrificed himself for man. Thus, God fulfills his own nature. For sacrifice is the discovery of oneself in the act of imparting oneself. Love is the discovery of self in the act of self-surrender. So, our Heavenly Father came and dwelt in the tabernacle of clay. The identity was total and not partial. It was complete. The Word did not appear in flesh. It was theophany. It wasn't a drama which was worked simply for our benefit, The nature of the incarnation of our Lord was of such character that it required his complete and total identification with us. He became man. It is a mystery, but not an irrational mystery. It's not a riddle, for you can answer riddles by intellectual means, But you cannot disclose the depth and power of this incarnation by intellectual means. The identity was complete. The body which he received from his mother was like ours, with red blood in it. He grew tired. He grew hungry. He grew weary. He kept the laws of health and did a prodigious amount of work, I believe, too, that he felt all the limitations and the downward drag and the pull that sin exerts. 
All of us inherit this sin, and we make our own particular and peculiar contribution to it as we go through life. How often must his heart have ached for mankind? He learned line upon line, precept upon precept, so that at every stage of his development, from childhood to manhood, our Lord Jesus Christ represented God as fully as God could be represented in a human being at, the stage, at that stage of his development. As he grew in stature and wisdom and in favor with God and man, how he must have longed for that communion with his Father which he had before the world was. Our choir is going to close this Christmas service by singing that beloved hymn, O Holy Night. And we as a congregation will remain seated during the singing of that hymn, and when they conclude, then we together will stand as Brother Ed brings the benediction upon this hour. May God bless us, each and every one, and very Merry Christmas to you. Remember, saints, the reason for the season. As we uh, draw close of this time together in your house of worship, we give you thanks for the ministry which we have received through your spirit. We thank you for the gifts and talents that have been shared by both the, the youth and those that are older. We pray, dear Lord, that as we allow your spirit to work in us, that we might 
learn to uh, trust in thee. That our faith might grow and we might step out in that faith believing. That we too might testify of your goodness and your mercy and your love through your creation of which we are. We thank you, Lord, for uh, this time of season in which this country entrusts to us this land of freedom. Help us to uh, be good stewards over that freedom that we might profess the promise of eternal salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. Let our lives be a testimony and a witness of your love for each one. We pray as uh, we would depart this, uh, your house, that your spirit might go with us and go before us. And as we join together to, in celebration in this time of year, we recognize the birth of your son. Help us to remember the reason for the season. That we might profess that as far as the curse is found of sin in this land around the world, that we might uh, show people the light and point them to the only true answer of love ever after in your Son. Be with each one, we would pray, and a pray a benediction upon this service now. Until we meet again, we pray in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.